Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. I was just listening to somebody and they said that October is Satan's month, but I want to tell you something. They might say that October is Satan's month, but all month long, we've been giving the devil a black eye by exposing his schemes and by exposing his works. You have to know that religion and demons hate when we get up on here and we start preaching on deliverance. We start exposing the works of the enemy. In fact, Paul says to know the strategies of the enemy. So he commands us, know the strategies of the enemy so that Satan will not have have an advantage over you. And I don't know about you, but I don't need Satan having an advantage over me. So we're going to continue to give the enemy a black eye. We're going to continue to bring down his kingdom to violently assault his gate. I'm telling you, the Bible says that God is looking for violent believers. There is a violent war going on in the spiritual realm. I was hearing one person say in October, the spiritual realm, the satanic realm is more open than any time during the year. So all the witches, all the warlocks, anybody in the occult knows this, that the month of October, there is an opening, a tearing of the veil, they might call it, in the demonic kingdom where they have special access to demonic powers. But let me just tell you this, that the kingdom of God is not just opened up on October, but our kingdom is open all year long. All year long, we have access to deliverance. We don't have to wait like the witches until October. Am I preaching to anybody? Come on, share this. But all day, every day, every month, every year, we have access into spiritual places. The Bible says that you are seated with Christ. This gets me too fired up in heavenly places. And that we don't just have to wait until October, but we have access every day, all year to bind and to loose into the spirit realm. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is your inheritance as sons and daughters of the most high God. Jesus said, I'm going to leave and I'm not leaving you with nothing. I'm leaving you with power and I'm leaving you with authority. I'm leaving you to the keys to my kingdom so that you could actually change things. Come on, everybody share this in the spiritual realm and so that you don't have to wait around for the enemy to beat you up all the time, but you have power in heavenly places. I want you to think about how crazy this is that you have authority. You've been given jurisdiction in supernatural realms and heavenly places. So understand that there is a war raging in the spirit in the unseen realm and God has called you who me yes you every believer listening if you call yourself a believer you've been called to be on the front lines not the sidelines but on the front lines of the spiritual war and so what I've been doing what I've been praying about and God has had me go through every story in the gospels and begin to look at the approach Jesus had on deliverance and beginning to learn what Jesus did and how he did it and taking notes from the deliverance ministry of Jesus. I'm telling you, I want to get to a place where on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook page, we have preached on every single deliverance instance Jesus did. I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to leave any stone unturned. I believe that this is going to be vital that we study the ministry that Jesus did when it comes to spiritual warfare. If we're going to go to the next level, I've often said, and I'm preaching tonight, I feel the fire of the Holy Ghost. Help me by sharing it. If you're from YouTube, please subscribe right now down below. 50% of our viewers are not 
not subscribed, so please subscribe. But I believe right now that God is raising up an army, and I believe that God is taking his church to the next level. I just want a prophetic word. Here's your prophetic word for you tonight. It's time to level up. It's time to go new places in God. He said, Peter, you need to go deeper because you've been living your life kicking around in the shadow, uh, in the kiddie pool of Christianity, shadow boxing demons. And Paul says, when I box, I don't shadow box. I'm not sitting there swinging and missing, but I have a target. I know what I'm doing and I'm going to overcome, not just for me, but I'm going to overcome for my family. I'm going to overcome for my marriage. I don't know about you, but I am ready to level up. Let me know if you hear me tonight. I'm ready to go to the next level. I am not content being where I'm at. Listen, I know we could get to a place where we could think that we know it all, where we could think there's nothing new to learn in deliverance. But I'm telling you, when you begin to open up the word of God and God begins to open up scripture to you and God begins to reveal new things that you've never seen before, this is how we go. The Bible says from glory to glory to glory. We are living in an advancing kingdom. We are not living in a kingdom that is stagnant, that is neutral, or that is going backwards. If you are in a church, if you are in relationship, if you are in a place in your walk where you are paralyzed, I have a video on lame Christians where you're stuck in the same place for extended period of time. You are not in the will of God. The God's kingdom is on the move and God's kingdom is in the move. And the spirit of God wants to take you to a new place. He wants to show you new things. He wants to give you new strategies. I'm amazed that every year there's a new iPhone, yet the church after 50, 60, 70 years have not done anything new, have not innovated. We're preaching the exact same strategies and the enemy knows our playbook and it's time to begin to attack the enemy the way the Bible says to attack the enemy. God says, I'm getting ready to do a new thing. Is God changing? Absolutely not. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but God's methods change. God says, I want to do a new thing. Now we saw all with the what happened with COVID during the pandemic, churches exploded going online. They were excited to reach people online. They were live streaming. They were doing Zoom calls. They were praying online, delivering people online. And then all of a sudden, when everything went back to normal, the churches opened back up. Everybody went back into the church and stopped trying to reach people on social media. I am not on here because of COVID. I started live streaming in January. I did not start live streaming and doing this because COVID broke out and we weren't allowed to meet in our church. I started doing it because last year in August, God says, I want you to reach reach the unreached people groups. I want you to reach the billions of people that are on social media every single month. And so we begin to buy microphones, buy cameras, buy lights, buy studio equipment so that we could reach unchurched people. And thank you, Jesus, that when God anoints and God gives a word, God always gives provision for the word. And so God's word has been carried out through these live streams. But I'm telling you, I want to get to a place where we could know every story about Jesus in deliverance. One thing I'm learning as I'm studying the stories of Jesus, and this is what we're going to be talking about, how Jesus cast out demons. But one thing I'm learning is it is incredibly ignorant. Now, I know there's some of you that you're not even on here because every time I talk about demons, you're like, oh, here he goes again. I want to learn more about Jesus. And I just want to learn about the love of God. And I just want to learn about the gifts of the spirit and miracles and healing. But I don't want to learn about driving out demons. Yet you understand you can't separate the ministry of Jesus for the ministry of deliverance because the Bible says that Jesus appeared to destroy the works of darkness. 
That is why Jesus appeared according to your Bible. But one thing I'm learning is how incredibly ignorant it is to say we should not talk too much about deliverance because if we talk too much about deliverance, we're giving the kingdom of darkness glory. This is incredibly unbiblical. It's demonic in nature and it is ignorant. So you're telling me that casting out demons, just think about this, okay? For all of you that have said that, your pastors tell you that because I've heard many pastors say this. You're telling me that casting out demons brings glory to the demonic realm. But last I checked, this is exactly what the Pharisee said. There is nowhere in the Bible. Please don't try to promote on, on the chat. I'll ban you. Okay, praise the Lord. Someone's trying to promote their stuff. Don't do that. It's not classy, okay? There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, don't talk about the devil too much or don't talk about deliverance too much. To say, don't talk about deliverance too much or don't talk about the demonic realm too much is to tell Jesus that what he did on the cross was not worthy because Jesus, as I taught in the, uh, two videos ago, afforded us deliverance on the cross. There's no scripture in the Bible that says talking about deliverance brings glory to the demonic realm. In fact, when Jesus begin to drive out demons. They were totally fine with Jesus. The moment he begins to drive out demons, they begin to question him. They begin to say, Jesus, are you of the devil? You must be using by the powers of Beelzebub. And Jesus goes, what are you guys even talking about? Me preaching on demons is not bringing glory to the devil, but understand that the, I felt the fire tonight. Come on, share this. We're about to hit 600. But the establishing of the kingdom of God on the earth, it starts with the removal of Satan's kingdom. And then you're properly able. You biblically cannot establish the kingdom of God on the earth without first removing the kingdom of darkness. Jesus says when a demon comes out, it's the finger of God. It's establishing of God. It's the kingdom of God being established. So you need to know that you need to stop listening and hanging around people that say, oh brother, don't talk about spiritual stuff too much. In fact, Jesus talked more about the devil than any person in the Bible. I don't know about you, but out of all the people I've read about in the Bible, I want to follow the example of Jesus over any else before I follow Paul, before I follow Solomon, before I follow David, I'm looking to Jesus as the author and the finisher of my faith. And he talked more about the devil than anybody else in the entire Bible. I think what happened was somebody forgot to tell Jesus that he shouldn't talk so much about the devil. Imagine what you would post on Jesus's Facebook wall if he was alive today. Jesus, why do you cast out demons everywhere you go? You'd, you'd comment down below to Jesus' page. Just give it a break, Jesus. Jesus, why do you keep talking about spirit? and deliverance. Jesus, why are you telling every believer to do this? Shouldn't it only be for the pastors? Jesus, why are you upsetting the system and going against what religion has been teaching? Let me tell you why we're causing an uproar because we have built religious strongholds. I feel like going against the enemy tonight and religious systems that deny the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And the moment believers begin to step into this, and I'm going to teach you later that starting to do deliverance will probably get you kicked out of your church, okay? We're going to show you some verses later all about that, but I'm telling you, we have to understand that Jesus came and flipped the tables. He did not go with the flow of dead religion, but he flipped the tables. They, they accused him of being of the devil because he cast out demons. This is impossible because the only kingdom that gets glory, and I want you to write this down, the only kingdom that gets glory when we talk about deliverance, when we talk about exposing demons and warfare is the kingdom of God. The devil gets zero glory when we talk about destroying his kingdom. The devil gets zero credit when we talk about exposing his plans. The devil is squirming and squeaking and running when we start exposing him because he knows that if we know his strategies, he will have no plan against us. If you knew...
that the same spirit that raised Christ is alive in you. I cannot imagine the damage you do on the kingdom of darkness. Now, I was trying to keep this video tonight to like 45 minutes to an hour, but I don't know. We're just going to go see. But I believe right now that in our teaching, in our preaching, we are training people to destroy the kingdom of hell and to establish the kingdom of God. Jesus made it clear in Luke 11 that the way that you establish a kingdom of God on the earth is through removing Satan's kingdom. So you cannot establish. A lot of us are trying to establish God's kingdom over Satan's kingdom, and that's not the way you establish the kingdom of God. And so what we do is we get demonized people in our churches and we preach to them, preach to them, preach to them. And they say, well, I'm still struggling. I'm having dominating thoughts, which Ephesians 6 talks about how the devil is the one that dominates. God never dominates people. And we keep preaching and preaching and preaching and saying, oh, just change the way you think. And oh, just renew your mind. And the people say, yeah, I've been doing all those things, but I'm having these dominating forces and these dominating thoughts. And so we preach the kingdom over the demonic kingdom. When Jesus says, that's not the way we do it. The way we do it first is we remove the satanic kingdom. We remove the satanic spirit. We remove unclean powers. And then once the house is empty, we're able to fill them with Jesus. So the proper way to establish the kingdom of God, not according to Isaiah, this is not new preaching, not new doctrine. This is Luke 11, but it's by the first removal of Satan's kingdom. Many people right now in the American church love Jesus, but they don't love the things that Jesus do. Matthew 10, 8, Jesus commands the disciples to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, and to cast out demons. The 12 disciples representing all believers now. This is for us to do. This was not Jesus suggesting. It was not him going, well, I suggest you guys cast out demons. I highly suggest you guys preach. I highly suggest you draw, you uh, raise the dead and cleanse the lepers. Jesus was commanding them. And when I read scripture, listen, I want you to catch this here. When Isaiah Saldivar reads the Bible and Isaiah reads something that he doesn't agree with, okay? Like many of you don't agree with deliverance. When he reads something he doesn't agree with, when I'm reading the scripture and I find a verse I don't agree with, this is the only conclusion that I could come up with. It's that I'm wrong and the Bible's not wrong. Every time I I read the Bible and I go, I don't really agree with that. I don't really like that. I have to come to a conclusion that either the Bible's wrong or I'm wrong. And I know that the Bible's not wrong. So I must be the one that's wrong. And we need to realize that we are wrong. We need to stop manipulating the word of God and start believing the word of God. Jesus looked at the disciples after they kept preaching the love of God, talking about the love of God. Come on, everyone, let's just share bomb this right now. Let's hit him with a share bomb. Everybody hit share at once. Okay. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me my commandments. We think of his commandments and I want to change the way you think here as we, we were barely not even in our intro. Okay. Praise the Lord. I want you to change the way you think about the commandments because we always think of commandment as him telling us not to do something, but we need to start thinking of commandments as him saying, you can do this. He said, I've given you power and authority. And I want to tell all 600 of you watching right now that you can do deliverance, that you have what it takes, that you don't need to wait any longer. You don't need special strategy. You don't need special training, but right now you can do everything God has called you to do and start understanding his commandments are not to enslave us, but they are to empower us. I don't care how new you are. You can do this because Jesus said, Isaiah, how can you so confidently tell these people that they have the authority and power to cast out demons? Because I read my Bible and I see that Jesus does it. Holiness has to stop being about what we can't do and really start being a 
about what we can do. Isaiah, will you say that one more time, please, for those sitting in the back? I'd love to. Holiness has to stop being about what we can't do and start being about what we can do. Christians are oftentimes known for what they can't do, but I'm telling you, there is coming a day where we're going to be known, and I feel the Holy Ghost not for what we can't do, but we're going to be known for what we can do. Imagine when people begin to talk about us rather than them saying, oh, those Christians, they can't watch this. They can't drink that. They can't go there. But imagine when people started talking about us, they said, did you hear about those people called Christians? They can lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They could command demons to leave and the demons obey them. These people, they love without conditions and stipulations. These people bless those that curse them and love their enemies. These people give radically. They love unconditionally and they act as if they're living on a different planet. I'm tired of people looking at us and saying, oh, you're not allowed to do this. And they need to start looking at us and say, wow, you have supernatural power and you have supernatural authority. I'm telling you, Jesus has given us power to turn the world upside down. What was the world's response when they saw the church? They said, these men are them that turn the cities, are turning cities upside down, are turning the world upside down. And so you have to understand this is true holiness. We need to stop being so religious and denying the power of God. In fact, Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 that there's going to be people that are lover of self, lover of money. But the key word, he said, they're going to act religious, but deny the power that can make them like God. Stay away from those people. And we know, we all know these people that deny the power of God. We all know these crusty, rusty, dusty religious people that have been in church since Jesus was a baby. And they look at people like us that are actually walking out the scripture and they think we're radical they think we're fanatics. They think that we're part of a cult. But understand, if they call you radical, part of a cult, or think you're crazy, they said it to Jesus first, you are in good company. You need to start getting happy about the fact that people say you're too spiritual. It's amazing to me that in our church culture, you can never be too smart. You can never be too dedicated. I'm preaching now. You can never be too hardworking. But the moment you become godly, all the Pharisees and Sadducees get around you and say, oh, brother, you're just being too spiritual. And Paul says, you know what I have to say about those people that are acting religious, but have no power moving in their life that are void of the power of God. He says, do yourself a favor. This is the apostle Paul, not Isaiah. He says, do yourself a favor and just stay away from those people because their religion is contagious and they're just going to irritate you and frustrate you. Your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, all those around you that have been in church forever that think, oh, you just got saved. I know more than you that Isaiah guy talks too fast. He's lost his mind all of them. He goes, just stay away from them because they're never going to understand what I've called you and I have anointed for you to do. And then Paul ends by going, it's all good because their faith is counterfeit anyways. And so I don't know about you, but I don't want to have this form of godliness and to act religious, but deny the working of the power of God, the miracle power that God has afforded to us. Many American Christians struggle to prove to the world who J Jesus is who he says he is because deliverance proves Jesus is who he says he is. And we're not doing deliverance. What you need to know about the ministry, deli the deliverance ministry of Jesus is that Jesus used deliverance to prove that he was who he said he was. Nothing proves the power of God and the 
validity of Jesus like deliverance. And I'm going to show you this because in Luke 7, 21, when John the Baptist is in prison, I talked about John the Baptist last Friday, when John the Baptist is in prison, two of John's disciples come to him. And let me just paint the picture here. And they start telling him everything Jesus is doing. They go, John, you won't believe this guy, Jesus. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's driving out demons. He's preaching with power. He's flipping tables in the synagogues. He's turning religion upside down. And John's in prison and says, ask him if he's the one. I feel like running around and preaching right now. He says, ask him if he's the one or we should look for another. Now, when I read this in Luke 7, 21, my mind is completely blown because I'm going, John, when I read this, I remember the first time I ever read this. I'm going, John, what are you talking about? You were the one in Matthew 3 who baptized Jesus. The Bible says the spirit of God descended like a dove onto Jesus and a voice came from heaven saying, this was my son validating Jesus. Remember John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And now we are in Luke 7 and John the Baptist is having doubt and unbelief. When John was the one that was right there when the dove ascended, he was right there when the voice spoke out of heaven. And now John has doubt. John has unbelief. Let me tell you why John the Baptist is in prison and Jesus hasn't rescued him yet. And so what began to set in in the life of John the Baptist is discouragement and doubt. And how easy can we relate to this when the moment things get rough, the moment Jesus doesn't do what we thought he should do, the moment things don't go the way we planned or the way we thought should go, after all Jesus has done, we after all Jesus has done for us, we begin to question the validity and the authority of the Son of God. After all the miracles, I want you to think about it right now. All the times, come on, everyone hit share. All the times that he took care of you. All the times when he was there, when nobody else was there. After every experience and encounter you've had, it blows my way because the moment things don't go right in our marriage, am I preaching to anybody? The moment things don't go right in our job, the moment things don't go right with our kids, we begin to doubt who Jesus says he is. We begin to doubt the person of Jesus. This is not, is this not the plan of the snake? Is this not the, the, the plan of the enemy is to make us question the word of God. This was what the devil did in the garden. This is what the devil did to Jesus. He made Jesus question the word of God. He made Jesus question his validity and who God says he was. But here's the important verse that I want to show you because remember we're talking about how Jesus cast out demons that shows that deliverance proves who Jesus is. Deliverance proves that Jesus is who he says he is. And I'm telling you right now, you're going to have a difficult journey trying to to prove to the world that Jesus is the son of God. If you don't engage in deliverance, they come to Jesus. They said, okay, Jesus, um, we're, we were just with John the Baptist and John wants to know if you're the one or should we look for somebody else? Jesus doesn't say a word. Jesus is response is this. He didn't say one word. He basically says, just watch this because in the next verse in Luke 7, 21, it says at that very time. So that they come to Jesus. I hope you're seeing this. And they say, Jesus, um, John, John's having some doubts and he wants to know if you're the one and Jesus doesn't say a word, but the next verse, it says, and at that very time, Jesus cured many people of diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. Stay right there. 
and he restored sight to many that were blind. Then he goes, go back. So he does all these miracles right when they ask him. Jesus goes, watch this. And Jesus heals blind eyes. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. And then Jesus turns around and says, go back and report to John what you have seen because these things prove I am who I said I am. Jesus said another time in John chapter 10 that when they didn't believe him, if you don't believe me, believe the miracles that follow me. Believe the signs. And I'm going to show you later in the broadcast that deliverance is called a miracle by Jesus. Deliverance, many people don't preach this, is a miracle ministry. I'm going to show you this later. But some of you are like John. You're still trying to figure out if Jesus is the one or should you keep looking. Friend, I want to tell you here, and I'm shouting it till I have no voice, that Jesus is the one that you've been looking for. I came to tell somebody tonight, let me just preach this the way I feel it, that the search is over. People oftentimes say, Isaiah, why don't you party? Why don't you drink? Why don't you sleep around? Why don't you do drugs? Why don't you go to clubs and live the fast life? And it's very simple, friend. I want you to catch this tonight. It's because the search is over. I found what I was looking for. I did those things in the past and all they did was left me empty. Is there anybody that could relate tonight? But once you find Jesus, you don't need to keep searching. He's the one that you've been searching for. John the Baptist says, are you the one that we've been waiting for and searching for? And I'm telling you, it's been him all along. This was one of the main things that I realized when I got saved, that he was there all along, that he's been there the entire time. It's not that I don't do these things because I'm not allowed to do them. People say, well, you just don't drink because Christians are not allowed to drink. That's not why I don't drink. It's not because I'm not allowed to do them. It's because I don't want to do them. Why would I drink if I found what I'm searching for? Why would I smoke weed if I've already found what I'm searching for? Why would I live a promiscuous life if I've already found what I'm searching for? And some of you are like a cell phone with no service. You're constantly searching. But I'm telling you, there's nothing better than finding what you finding out why you are on this earth and finding what you've been looking for. So Jesus says, demons being cast out proves that I am the one that you have been looking for. Casting out demons proves that I'm the one that you've been waiting for. Now, don't expect people. I want you to, I want you to see this right here in scripture. Do not expect people to not challenge your ministry and validity when you start casting out demons. John challenged the ministry of Jesus, challenged the, the validity of Jesus, and Jesus's response was, John, you, I cannot believe you'd even think this twice about me. I can't believe, who do you think you are, John, to challenge my ministry? Who do you think you are to try to talk bad about my ministry and to doubt my powerful deliverance ministry. This was not the response of Jesus. Jesus's response to somebody validating or somebody questioning the validity of his ministry and questioning him was showing them the fruit. People will always try to say, oh, well, this preacher doesn't agree with that. I have people that do my call-in show on Monday nights and they say, oh, one of your friends is a preacher and he doesn't agree with you on this and he doesn't agree with you on that. And he says that Christians can't be demonized or he says this. And my question is always, where is the fruit? Do they have fruit? Because 
Because if not, why are you listening their take on deliverance? If somebody has no fruit on deliverance, they don't do deliverance, they don't practice deliverance in their services, in their personal life, I'm telling you, why would I listen to somebody that has zero fruit in their life try to tell me about deliverance? And some of you have been hanging out with yo-yos that don't do deliverance, and you go, well, everyone at my church thinks I'm crazy because I'm doing deliverance. They think you're crazy because they don't do deliverance. And I'm telling you, people that don't do deliverance are always going to question you. They're always going to challenge you. But understand that Jesus was not threatened. Jesus merely showed fruit. When people say Christians don't have demons, I have this all the time. Other pastors, other leaders go, well, I don't believe Christians can be demonized. And then my question is, well, then who do you deliver if you don't deliver Christians? Do you want to shut somebody down faster than the blink of an eye when they start trying to tell you, well, Christians can't be demonized? Start asking them, oh, really? Well, who do you do deliverance on? Because their response is going to be them dead silent because the truth is they don't even do deliverance. This is why when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they accused him of casting out demons by the devil, Jesus said, well, who do your people and your sons cast demons out by? He said, don't even try to come at me sideways when you don't even do deliverance. Don't try to tell me that, oh, this is how I know. I have pastors trying to, oh, this is what I know about the spiritual realm. You're wrong about this and wrong about that. And I'm going, you've never casted out a demon in your entire life. The, the closest you've ever come to the demonic is casting them into people, not casting them out of people. And you're going to try to show up here and question the word of God and try to look at all these scriptures and talk your way out of them. Friend, I'm telling you, you need to listen to preachers and people that have fruit in deliverance. Why would I listen to somebody talk about miracles if they've never even done a miracle? Why would I listen to somebody talking about having a healthy marriage? That's like going to a guy that and saying, I really want to get marriage counseling from you and he's on his fifth marriage. Would you ever do that? Okay, then why are you going to pastors that don't do deliverance and saying, well, my pastor said this, your pastor said that because your pastor is a Pharisee and he's never experienced a supernatural realm. And God is saying, it's time for us now to begin to do this. Stop letting religious people talk you out of the move of God. You need to just merely say, listen, you can question me the validity of my ministry. One guy commented just yesterday. He said, well, have you ever cast out a demon the way Jesus cast out a demon? I said, yeah, I have. I've done it for 10 years. That's not arrogance. That's not proud. That's just called confidence and it's called fruit. We are called to be fruit inspectors. So when somebody tells you the next time, well, I don't believe Christians could be demonized, then ask them this. Well, then who do you cast out demons from? Okay. So I want to answer a couple questions and talk about a couple things that we can get from the Bible here. I want to talk about one that where do demons go when they are cast out? This is a much long debate. Lots of teaching has been done on this. I believe God is opening up my eyes to some stuff and I want to give you some very important tips and points to where demons go according to Jesus when they are cast out. This is very interesting and this is why, and I'm going to be open, I'm going to be transparent about this, the Gospels and the Bible does not give us much information on where to cast demons into. One thing I want you to know is that demons have great fear about their ultimate punishment, which is, which is why they'll be cast one day, the Bible says in Revelation 2010 into the lake of fire. So one thing you know need to know about where demons go is that demons have fear about their future because one day they will be cast in the lake of fire. I'm going to give you some stuff after of my personal beliefs, but let me give you a couple verses because I don't want you to start manifesting on me and freaking out. Okay. And Mark one, the Bible says the demons cried out saying, why have you come? Have you come to destroy us? So they don't know when judgment is coming, but they're legitimately asking Jesus in Mark one, if judgment is 
is now. So understand that according to Revelation 20.10, there is a day of judgment. I'm going to explain what I believe about this in a minute, but there is a day of judgment coming for every demon and they don't know when that day is. So oftentimes they're going to ask Jesus in the gospels, have you come to judge us? Because they genuinely don't know. And Matthew 8.29, the Bible says, Legion cried out saying, have you come to torment us before the time? There was a certain doom waiting for these demons and for the time. And, and this is what we got to know about the time. It's been determined by God. I don't know the time and uh, the demons don't know the time. So when you're driving out demons, we don't know when judgment will be, but just keep this in your mind when we talk about this, that one day demons 100%, according to Revelation, are going to be cast into the lake of fire and they're going to be judged. I'll explain this here later. In Mark 5, here's what I want to talk about. Casting out demons, where do we cast them into? Where do they go? In Mark 5, Legion begged not to be sent out of the country, which shows us it's possible. Now, I want you to pay very close attention. Listen very closely. It's It means this. It's possible to send demons into other territories because the demon said, please don't send us uh, to another territory. So that shows us it's possible to send them to other territories. Mark 5, they said, send us to the pigs. And Jesus gave them permission mission, these demons, to go into the pigs, and there is no biblical explanation as to why Jesus gave these demons permission to go into the pigs. Now, let me say this. I don't believe God wants us to send demons to other territories because we don't see him doing that in scripture. I also don't believe he wants us to be sending demons into animals, okay? Because I believe Jesus, now I know Jesus didn't follow this pattern because this is the only place in the Bible it says that he cast demons into an animal. So Jesus did not follow this pattern of sending in, ant, demons into animals. So I don't believe we should follow it. If he doesn't make a pattern out of it, I don't think we should be doing it. Plus your neighbor will not be happy if you're sending demons into his dogs or cats. Okay. So I would just say this, if you're new and you're taking notes, I would not try to make a practice out of sending demons into animals. Although Jesus did do it. Is it biblical? Yes. Did Jesus do it? Yes. And I'm going to give you why I think he did it in a minute here, but understand, I don't think your neighbors are going to be happy if you're casting demons out and you're commanding them to go into the friendly neighborhood the friendly neighbor's poodle and now that poodle's all going over crazy biting everybody because you've been driving demons into it okay is it possible i think it is possible according to scripture but i don't think we should do it now one of the problems with us when we're talking about deliverance when we're talking about casting out demons is that we want fixed methods. This is a major issue in the American church. We want everything to have an answer and we want what I call fixed methods. Instead of relying on the Holy Spirit, we want a solution and a method so that we can do the same thing over and over and over again. So we say, well, if it's not in the gospel, I can't do it. Even if the Holy Spirit tells us to do it. Now I want to show you this. What you need to realize is the Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something that is contrary to scripture. So as long as you're not doing something Thing that's contrary to the Bible. You don't need to be scared about doing things that we don't see explicitly in scripture as long as you're not violating the Bible. What you need to know is what John said. John said, if everything Jesus did was written, it would take up the entire world. So here's your translation. Tons of the stuff Jesus did is not in the Bible. So all of the Bible is in God. I want you to write this down. All of the Bible is in God, but not all of God is in the Bible. That's at the end of John. If you don't believe me, remember the disciples, now, this is my Bible college kicking in here. The disciples did not write the Gospels until 30 to 50 years after Jesus left. Scholars say it was a minimum of 50 years or of 30 years. So think about this. Jesus is on the earth doing miracles, signs and wonders. And for 30 years, they didn't write the, they didn't write and put together the Gospels. So they say 30 to 50 years they waited till they came out the Gospels. So know that the early church did not have a New Testament. I know you all are freaking out like, 
well, that is not in the New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. What did they rely on if they didn't have the New Testament? I'll tell you what they relied on. They relied in the Holy Spirit. How do you know? Because Jesus said the Spirit is going to lead you into truth. That is why Mormons use the Bible. That is why Catholics could use the Bible. That's why so many people use the Bible is because they're not using the Spirit that leads them into truth. Now, I want to show you Mark 9.25. Jesus did say for a demon to come out and to never enter again. So there is a way to command demons to leave and to never enter again. I personally, now I'm going to give you my personal, I personally cast demons into the pit or the abyss, which is the same thing. I'm going to give you tons of verses here. This has always worked for me and demons oftentimes will tell me, I don't want to go to the pit. Please don't send me to the pit. Further proving, I believe that is where we should be casting them. I'm going to show you this in scripture, okay? Y'all are like, well, there's no verse. There is a verse. I'm going to show you. And the verse, write this down, is in Luke. Hello, Alexander, Alexander Pagani, bro. I love you. Need to get you back on the show soon. And Luke 8.31, write down this. This is so important. Luke, write down Luke 8.31. The King James Version says the demons begged Jesus not to send them back into the deep, okay? This is in the King James Version, Luke 8.31. The demons begged Jesus, please don't send us into the deep. The deep is the pit or the abyss. The deep, the pit, and the abyss, they are all synonymous terms, and the demons are begging Jesus. Jesus not to go into the abyss. So I know that if the demons are begging Jesus not to go there, they don't want to go there. So that's where I'm going to send them. Okay. They don't want to go. Romans 10, seven says that the abyss is the place of the dead. It's Romans 10, seven. You can go back and watch this. I got a lot to cover for the sake of time. Revelation 17 says the antichrist will rise up out of the pit or out of the abyss. Revelation 20 says that the abyss is where Satan will be bound for one thousand years before being led out again. So I want you to see this because I've never saw this until God started showing me this just this last week. The, the, the devil is going to be bound. You know this if you've read Revelation for a thousand years, okay? So God is going to lock up the devil, if you don't know, in chains for a thousand years, and God is going to put the devil in the abyss. This is in Revelation 20. God is going to put the devil in the abyss for a thousand years before letting him out again. Now, after he's let out again, after God binds him again, that is when he'll be cast into the lake of fire with his demons because I don't know if you know this now I get so excited saying this that the devil is going to be cast in the lake of fire after the great tribulation for all of eternity so understand the devil is not calling shots in hell the devil is going to be tormented in the lake of fire with his demons when judgment day comes for the devil after the thousand years for all of eternity so that shows me, which is something I've believed since I started deliverance, but now I have further scriptural proof that the pit or the abyss is a holding place, or I would call it a waiting room for demons. This is what I've believed, but I've never really clearly seen it in scripture until this last week. So as I'm preaching this, I've been learning a lot about this. So Revelation 20, Satan will be bound there for a thousand years. This is where I cast demons, and I believe it is where demons wait until they are judged. Now, Revelation 9, I'm giving you too many verses tonight. Revelation 9, the abyss is described as an area under the earth. And Tuesday, we talked all about hell. Hell is a literal place. If you don't know, go watch Tuesday's video. Hell is a literal place in the center of the earth. There's like 20 plus verses that say this. But Revelation 9, the abyss is described as an area under the earth that has some type of shaft that comes out of the earth and smoke comes out like a furnace. Now, Bill Weiss talked a lot about this. He talked about this extensively. So I'm not going to go into detail. So let me now give you 
Isaiah settled of our personal belief after giving you all those verses. Let me give you my personal belief. And as you know, when it comes to the spiritual realm, we prophesy in part, we see through a lens darkly. And so I'm just giving you what I believe based on these scriptures, what I believed. Okay, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that the abyss is where you send demons for them to wait until judgment day. We know that there are demons in hell that torment people. How do we know? Well, the Bible says it, and Bill Wee showed us on Tuesday night, there are demons in hell that do torment people. So I believe that there are demons in hell. That's scriptural. There's demons on the earth and there's demons in the second heaven. These are all scriptural. I do tons of teachings on the YouTube channel. I'm not going into detail again on this. So according to Revelation 20, one day, all the demons are going to be in torment in the lake of fire. So my thinking is this. I want you to think about this is what I believe. My thinking is that the abyss or the pit is where they wait until judgment day. So maybe when we cast them into the pit, maybe they have some type of ability to torment people in hell. That could be what Bill, we saw the demons in hell tormenting people. Maybe those are demons that have been cast into the abyss, but I believe once you cast them in the pit or the abyss, I don't believe that they were allowed back on the earth. And so once again, this is not explicitly described in scripture. This is my honest conclusion after doing 10 years of deliverance, after preaching and studying revelation, studying scripture, going through all this stuff. I believe this is the most, this is the most rational, which by the way, there's no ration in the spirit realm or logic. So that's probably the wrong word, but I believe that this is a safe place. If they said, Jesus, don't send us there. Then guess what? When I cast them out, I oftentimes say, I command you to go to the pit. I command you to go to the abyss and never return. So understand that when demons get cast out, we oftentimes cast them into the pit or the abyss. I want to show you a couple more points here. And we got to go fast because I'm taking way too long as I always do, but I'm going to go speed through a couple of lessons. I want to show you from the man at the tombs. This is found in Luke 8, 26 and Mark five and in Matthew 8, 28. And I'm going to give you a short version. Listen, I'm not going to read line upon line like many people do on all the stories because I will go for five hours. I'm not going to do that. Okay. I'm going to give you the paraphrase. I'm going to give you the story and you can just stay with me here. This was a man that was highly demonized, the man at the tombs. And what's sad is this man was cast out to the tombs. The Bible says to live among the dead. We do also have tombs in America. Most people say, well, though, you know, demon possessed people don't live at graveyards anymore, but there are tombs in America and they're called insane asylums or mental hospitals. Many of these people in mental hospitals and insane asylums are forgotten about and left and put to the side. And I believe many of them could be healed by deliverance. We need to pray. And this is one thing I've had a burden for, I've been praying about, I've been strategizing about, and God's been putting on my heart in prayer. We need to pray that there would be a movement and deliverance in mental hospitals. Someone said, you go pit or do you go abyss? They're the same thing. So it doesn't matter. The pit and the abyss both translate to the same thing. We need to pray that there would be a movement of deliverance in mental hospitals and insane asylums. And I believe that God wants to raise some of you up in the chat to bring deliverance to people in mental hospitals and insane asylums. Okay. Let me give you a couple things. I'm going to give you a lot of points to write down so you can go back and rewatch it. We're going to go quick, but we're going to learn some lessons. Remember, we're going through Jesus casting out demons in the gospels. We're going to learn some lessons from the man at the tombs. And lesson number one is he had an obsession with death. Okay. He was obsessed with dead things. The Bible says that he dwelt among the tombs. And I'm just going to say this. Oftentimes people who are demonized have a fascination with death. You should not have a desire to watch death videos right now. 
And this is not just right now. This is with social media generation. One of the most popular videos online are death videos. People post death videos all the time online. And there's an entire world, an entire group of people that like watching other people die. This is absolutely demonic. And having an obsession with death is demonic. You should not open uh, open these videos because um, it opens doors to demonic powers. I don't want to go much into detail on this. I'm going to kind of skip through this because I know there's kids watching. And we're on many different social media platforms. And so I don't want to talk about this, but understand that demonized people oftentimes have an obsession with videos of people dying. It's completely sick. And like I said, don't research this. Don't go into this. Just know that the man at the tombs was hanging among the dead. Demonized people hang among dead things. Number two thing that we learned from the man at the tombs, the man had supernatural strength. I've had people say, well, Isaiah, you talk about, you know, uh, young girls throwing off grown men during deliverance. You talk about young men that are 10 years old, being able to wrestle around four or five guys. You talk about demon strength. Where's that in the Bible? It's found right here. The Bible says the man could not be restrained by chains. Number two is that demonized people have supernatural strength. This is something that is incredibly common in deliverance. It'll sometimes take three to four people to hold someone down because of supernatural strength. I've seen girls that weigh a hundred pounds, throw three to four other people off of them and people have trouble holding them down in deliverance. Okay. We're also going to see this in Acts 19, the sons of Sceva stripping the men of their clothes. This is supernatural strength that demons have. This is the man of the tombs. He's breaking chains that you're not physically able to break. So that shows us biblically, there is a such thing as demon strength. So we need to be cautious about this. Don't be scared about this. Don't go into deliverance saying, well, I'm scared. Don't be scared. Just don't be ignorant to the fact that demons do have supernatural strength. Now, with that being said, this is a major area where angels come into play. Hebrews 1.14, I want you to write down Hebrews 1.14. This is a verse that you should be memorizing. And this is what Hebrews 1.14 says. It says, therefore, angels are only servants, spirits that were sent to care for people who will er inherit salvation. So angels are spirits. Now, whose spirits are angels? We know that they're God's spirits. This is why Jesus said you can bind demonic spirits and you can loose angelic God's ministering spirits, okay? The power to bind and the power to loose. We're able to loose angels, which are God's ministering spirits. We've talked a lot about that. And so don't be afraid when things are getting out of hand, when demon strength or supernatural strength starts manifesting. Let me get a one if this is good stuff here. When they begin, let's hit share. We're about to hit 700. Don't be afraid when they begin to manifest. You just need to begin to ask angels, Isaiah, what is the biblical way to pray for angels to help? Let me tell you the biblical way that we pray for angelic in, um, intervention. It's asking the father to send them. I want you to note here that we don't pray to angels. Okay, write this down. We don't pray to angels and we don't worship angels, but understand that angels are an invaluable tool when it comes to warfare. Write all this down. Angels are invaluable when it comes to warfare. Matthew 26, 53. This is the verse that proves how to call upon angels. Jesus said this. This is word for word. Jesus said, don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect protect us and he would send them instantly. So this is Jesus telling us how to call upon angels in Matthew 26, 53. He says, don't you realize I could literally just ask my father for thousands or what you could also call legions of angels and the angels would come protect us. So think about this. Jesus says this, if I need help, 
So if I need help, if demons are getting out of hand in deliverance, I could ask for thousands of angels. And here's what I love about this and catch this here. They would instantly show up. Jesus says, listen, God is not on AOL dial up. You don't have to unplug the router. He said, if I ask for angels, the angels are going to show up instantly. And this is what you need to know that angels are not loading. Angels are not buffering. If you're a nerd, you know exactly what I'm saying. Angels are an instant thing. The moment you ask for angels, I don't remember one deliverance I've ever done. I did a deliverance two weeks ago and I'm asking for angels the entire time. And the moment I ask for angels, the person starts screaming. The demons hate it. Angels torment and they help during deliverance. This is all biblical. Okay. So you have to understand you have power to ask for angels to help ask for legions of angels. One of the prayers I've been praying recently is God released legions of angels. And I know that it's changing things as I'm praying for legions of angels to be released. So when you're praying for your friends, when you're praying for your family, don't be afraid to say, Lord, I ask you, I ask you to send legions of angels over them. This is all scripture. Okay. God told me one day, Isaiah, do you know how bored angels are up in heaven? Do you know how many bored angels there are? And I was going bored angels. What do you mean? God says, yeah, Isaiah, my angels are bored because believers are not calling on them for help. I'm telling you, we're going to do a video on this here, maybe in the next month or two about the power of angelic spirits, the spirits of God, but understand that angels help us in warfare. Okay. So number two was he had supernatural strength. Number three was he was ferocious. He was like a wild animal. Now the Bible says nobody can tame him. So we've seen this in society as well. Oftentimes, You'll be walking down the street and you'll see somebody growling. You'll see somebody barking, talking to themselves. This is a sign of being demonized. They're ferocious. They act like animals. Growling is a major symptom of being demonized. I've lost track of how many people I've prayed for and they instantly started growling when I was praying for them. Instantly, they started growling the moment I began to pray for them. I've had many people say, Isaiah, every time you pray for me, I start growling because you have to understand that growling is part of being demonized, acting like an animal is part of being demonized. This man was acting ferocious. This man, the Bible says, was acting like a wild animal and nobody could tame the man. Why would the Bible say nobody can tame him? Because he was acting like an animal. So some people say, well, it's just a certain type of drug. Friend, it's not a drug that makes people act like an animal. It is a demon. The drug merely activates the demon. But you need to know when people act like animals, when they growl, when they bark, I've had pastors say, well, yeah, people are barking at the altar. It must be a manifestation of God. This is not a manifestation of God. This is a demon in its nature. So number three, he was ferocious. Remember, we're talking about lessons from Jesus' ministry. Number four, he was destructive and he brought self-harm upon himself. The Bible says he was cutting himself with stones. Legion is a cutting spirit. Cutting is demonic. Demons desire ultimately to kill you and to bring destruction. They are destructive and they work to destroy your life. You need to know the ultimate goal of demons is to kill you. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is not happy until you are dead and separated from God. And so you need, yeah, there's pastors that think that barking is a manifestation of God. It's definitely not. It's a manifestation of a demon, but you need to know that Cutting and self-harm is a demonic spirit. A lot of you have written saying, my teenager is cutting herself. My friend is cutting herself. Let, let me tell you, that is a sign of being demonized. When demons are in you, oftentimes you will cut yourself. It's a sign of demonization. So number four, he was destructive and he self-harmed. Number five, 
He was schizophrenic in nature. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on this, but the translation of the Greek is schizophrenia. The man had schizophrenia. He had divided personalities. And we know this because something in him wanted to worship Jesus, and then something else in him wanted nothing to do with Jesus. This is incredibly common in our world today, and I believe it's demonic, and I believe that God can set you free and deliver you from it. I don't care if you call it bipolar. I don't care if you call it schizophrenia. God wants to bring healing and deliverance to you right now. I believe right now at the very end, as we always do, we're going to pray deliverance and breakthrough. And I believe every person watching that is bipolar, that is schizophrenic, I believe God is going to deliver you by the miracle power of the Holy Spirit. Tonight is your night to get delivered. Okay, so those were the characteristics of the man. Oh, let me give you number six. Something in him felt threatened by Jesus and he begged Jesus not to be tormented. I talked about this last week. Demons are threatened by you. Number six is the demons were threatened by Jesus. Oftentimes people will not know why, but they're threatened by you. Understand it's a demon on the inside of them. Now we talked about this two weeks ago, so I won't go big into this, but demons are threatened by believers. Now let's talk about a couple steps, specifically four steps that Jesus took to casting the demon out of this man. Let's go four simple lessons we're going to find from the man at the tombs. Number one is that Jesus commanded the demon to come out of the man. So number one is that Jesus commanded the demon to come out of the man. This was the first thing he did. And this is not just the first thing Jesus did, but this is the first thing that we should do when we start to pray for deliverance. The one, one of the most common questions we get was, how do I start doing deliverance? You start by commanding the demon to come out. So whatever they're dealing with, they say, I've had this issue, this major issue of lust, this major issue of anger, this major issue of rage. I don't know what to do. This is how you start the deliverance. You start by commanding the spirit to leave. Jesus is not afraid of the demon. He's in complete control. He knows exactly what he's doing and he starts commanding. Now in Luke 8, 29, it says he was commanding. And I taught about this a couple weeks ago. Commanding is a verb that expresses continuous action. So this means Jesus did not say come out of the man one time, but this verb expresses he was continually commanding the demon to leave. And this is what I call when you're saying over and over again, leave, 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 or come out in Jesus name, come out in Jesus name. If you've ever been in an effective deliverance, you know that oftentimes you have to repeat yourself over and over and over. Demons are stubborn. I did a two-hour video on this. Demons are like little kids. Oftentimes, you have to ask them over and over again. Demons have, according to the Bible, different personalities. And so some of your kids might listen the first time you tell them. Some of your kids, you might have to tell them 20 times, okay? I have one kid that I have to tell her 30 times. I have one kid I have to tell her two times. Demons have different personalities. So no, Jesus was commanding over and over again. Now, I call this, when we're repeating ourselves, I call this putting spiritual pressure on the demon or wrestling the spirit. So when we're using repeated commands, I call that wrestling the spirit. How do you win a wrestling match? Ephesians 6 tells us we're in a wrestling match. The way that you win a wrestling match is applying pressure on the shoulders until you pin the person down. So the way that you apply uh, win a ma match is by constant pressure. So in deliverance, this is why I tell people don't give the demon a break in deliverance. You need to keep applying constant pressure. Jesus did this calm and collected, but you, I'm sorry, calm and collected is not, usually doesn't work. You need to be aggressive. You need to continue and you need to understand that you are in a wrestling match and you need to apply pressure. Now, let me say something as we're talking about the way Jesus cast out demons. 
Oftentimes, you need to realize the demons are not going to listen to you the way they listen to Jesus, even though you're using the authority of Jesus, because ultimately you are not the son of God. Okay. I had one person say, well, if the demons came out right away when Jesus told them to, even though they didn't, according to the story, they said, why is it that you talk about sometimes it takes an hour? And I, my response is, well, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were Jesus. Okay. Every person Jesus prayed for got healed. And guess what? I know some of you don't believe this, but every person I pray for doesn't get healed. I pray for many people. I lay hands on hundreds of people, thousands of people per year. Many of them get healed and many of them don't get healed. I'm not Jesus. I'm just a student trying to learn from the master. So don't look at Jesus and say, well, if it doesn't work for me the way it worked for Jesus, it must not be of God because understand that we are all in training and we ultimately are not Jesus. Okay. So number one was he commanded the demon to leave and then the demon didn't leave. Remember, okay, you need to see this. The demon didn't leave. So number two, Jesus required the demon to identify himself. Jesus here is showing us it is okay to command a demon to reveal itself or, or, or um, identify itself in deliverance because Jesus did it. Now, Jesus was not ignorant to who the demon was. And I don't even think the information was necessary for the deliverance. I believe, now this is my belief, but I believe that when demons are forced to name themselves, their power is weakened. Remember, the devil loses power when he's exposed and by spo exposing him by name, by nature, they lose power over people. I tell people this all the time. If you've called into my show, I probably told you this. The best thing that could ever happen to you is for you to know there's a demon hiding and because now you could evict it. Oftentimes people get scared when they manifest and I tell them at the altar, the best thing that can happen is for you to manifest because now you know there's a spirit and now you can deal with the spirit. And so Jesus commanded the demon to identify itself. You cannot evict somebody if you don't know they're living there. So it's an amazing thing to manifest and there be a demon. Okay. Number three is he cast the demon out by his authority. Jesus was able to cast the demon out because he had the authority to do it. You cannot go to somebody's house. I want you to try to go to your neighbor's house and knock on the door and say, I'm evicting you. Okay. They're going to laugh at you. Why? Because you don't have to, you don't have the authority to evict them. You need authority to evict demons. Jesus was able to evict the demon because he had authority. Remember deliverance was the only ministry that Jesus did that nobody else did in scripture. Remember before Jesus came, they'd already healed the sick. They'd already raised the dead in the old Testament. John the Baptist was already preaching repentance. The only new ministry that Jesus introduced was the ministry of deliverance. So you need to know that up until the time Jesus came, no one was able to command a demon to leave and the demon would have to leave. Jesus is the first person in Mark one. He opens his ministry, starts his ministry by confronting the devil and by doing deliverance. So he used his authority. Now you cannot go to your neighbor and say, you need to leave. I'm evicting you. But a police officer is able to go in there because he has authority to evict people. You cannot put somebody under arrest or bind them. Remember when you talk about binding demons, it's the same thing as arresting. It's the same word. It's to tie them up. So you can't go to somebody and put them under arrest because you're not, uh, you're, you don't have the authority, but a police officer is able to arrest people because why? He has authority. So Jesus is now making us clear that we have authority over demons. Authority has been given to every believer. You don't need to be scared. You have authority. Okay. So number three was he used his authority. Number four was he allowed legion to enter the swine. Now one commentator said this. Now I'm just going to tell you what I talked about earlier. Where do demons go? We've already covered this, but let me show you one commentary I found that I agree with. And I believe this is why you don't have to agree. You don't have to believe. I'm just going to tell you what the commentator said. And this is what he says. 
says, one commentator said, most likely, we don't know exactly why, but most likely Jesus permitted the demons to enter the swine because he wanted to spare the man from being torn by so many spirits and by granting them permission to enter the swine, the demons left without resistance. So here's what the, the commentator is saying. If you don't understand, the man had thousands of demons, according to the Bible, he had legions, he had literally thousands of demons. And so instead of the man falling out and wrestling around and foaming at the mouth and being in pain and going through the process of deliverance, Jesus allowed the demons to go to the pigs to, to be able to spare the man from what the demons are going to do to him. So once again, we don't know the exact reason why Jesus let the demons go into the pigs. We're only speculating, but to me, that's the best reason I've ever read. One day, listen guys, one day you're going to stand before God in glory and you can ask Jesus. Some of you, your first question you might go, you might say, Jesus, why did you let those demons go into the pig? And he'll go ahead and tell you in heaven one day. But the result of this deliverance, now let me show you, according to this story, the result of deliverance. The result of the man's deliverance was the man wanting to follow Jesus everywhere he went, wanting to be a disciple. Understand that people who get delivered, pastors, turn me up and listen. Listen to me. I know there's a lot of pastors watching right now. People who get deliverance will usually be the most committed people that you will have. If you want committed people in your ministry, start setting them free instead of preaching them into bondage. If you want to get people that are committed, that tithe, that fast, that pray, that serve, start doing deliverance on people because once people are delivered, they say, Jesus, I'm wanting to follow you wherever I go. This man went from being out of his mind to into his mind. He went from being out of control to God controlled. And this man wanted to follow Jesus. The Bible says, his former friends heard this and they marveled. So this was the result of biblical New Testament deliverance. The result of deliverance is that people marvel and they are in awe of the power of God. This goes back to people saying, well, deliverance brings glory to the devil. That's demonic to say that, by the way. But understand right here, it shows that when deliverance happens, people marvel at the power of God. And by hindering deliverance, write this down, by hindering deliverance, we deny God the glory that that he deserves. When you do deliverance, you are giving God glory. You're giving him honor. You're allowing people to have an awe, a reverence, a fear, and to bring glory to the kingdom of God. The only people that think deliverance brings glory to the devil is the devil and religious people. So don't fall into the trap or to the scheme. Now I'm going to give you one more story and then I'm going to give you, um, and then we're going to pray and we're going to close because I've been going way too long and I'm going to end up doing probably another part because like I said, I'm going to do every story, every instance, every lesson that Jesus gives on deliverance. The next thing I want to show you is in Mark 7, 24 and Matthew 15, 21. Again, that's Mark 7, 24 and Matthew 15, 21. We're going to see a powerful story of deliverance. Remember, we're talking about Jesus's deliverance. And this is a woman who comes to Jesus. We're not going to read line by line. We're already an hour and 15 minutes in, but this is a woman coming to Jesus, begging for her daughter to be delivered. Now you got to know this about the woman that came to Jesus in Luke 7, 24 and Mark 15, 21 was that she was not eligible to get delivered because she was a Greek. Jesus said that let the children first be filled. I shall not cast the children's bread to dogs. So Jesus said deliverance is for my people. Another sign that deliverance is for Christians. I'm going to do an entire YouTube video on Christians having demons. I'm going to do another YouTube video on how do I know if I have a demon. So stay tuned because I'm going to be releasing those videos very soon. But here I want you to see this. She was not eligible for deliverance and Jesus 
Jesus says, let the children first eat and be filled. I shall not cast the children's bread to dogs. What is the children's bread? Deliverance. Her response was this. Now watch the way this Greek girl responds. She responds with even the dogs sit under the table of the master and eat the children's crumbs. And then Jesus said this go your way. The demons have come out of your daughter. So I want to show you some principles that we can learn from this deliverance that apply to us today. Number one is that children can be demonized. Write this down. This is in the gospels. And like I said, these are all things we've been teaching for years, but I'm giving you verses so that you could be versed and you could give a defense to people that don't believe Christians could have demons. Children can be demonized. The woman is coming to Jesus on behalf of her daughter's demon. She said, Jesus, my daughter is heavily demonized. I want my daughter to get free. So she's coming on behalf of our daughter. The Greek word daughter signifies a very young daughter. Now this is very common and not talked about or preached about in the church that kids need deliverance. All the kids who need deliverance and we don't even think twice about it. We read scriptures of the children that need to get delivered yet we don't talk about it in the church. The devil, and I want you to hear me loud tonight, the devil wants to kill our kids while they are young. This is not trying to scare you. This is a biblical reality. We saw this with Moses. We saw this with Jesus. What happened when Moses was a baby? Pharaoh wanted to kill him because he knew that there was a deliverer rising up in that generation. And if we could kill him while he's a kid, he'll be because he'll be unstoppable when he's an adult. And Pharaoh failed at killing Moses. And what happened? Moses ended up delivering two plus million people. What happened when Jesus was a baby? Herod said, we're going to kill all the boys. Why? Because there is a deliverer in the group of children and we're going to kill him because if Jesus grows up, he will be unstoppable. Why do you think 90%, this is not an exaggeration, go on your kids' Netflix, 90% of kids shows on Netflix, on Disney are magic and witchcraft because the devil has put a target on your kids. And I need some people to rise up and say, not in this house. I'm not letting the devil put the wool over my eyes. It's time to get aggressive. I want to ask some of you parents that have no backbone. If you don't fight for your kids, who is going to fight for your kids? If you don't stand for your kids, who's going to? We wait around while the enemy sneaks in and infiltrates our children. It's time to man up. It's time to mom up. It's time to arm up. And it's time to get ready to fight the enemy that's coming against our kids. You are not just responsible for your breakthrough and deliverance, but you're responsible for your kids being free and delivered by the power of God. If you don't want to get involved in deliverance, do it for your kids, okay? So number one, children can be demonized. Lesson number two is parents are not only the guardians of their kids, but they are spiritual guardians, okay? So you are, according to this verse, a spiritual guardian over your child. Parents are able, this is biblical, parents are able to petition Jesus for their children's deliverance according to scripture. What's interesting is that Jesus did this deliverance at a distance at the mom's request. This should give hope to every parent out there that is believing for deliverance over their children. I believe that there is a special grace for deliverance to happen on kids, even if they're not in the meeting or with a deliverance minister present. So I don't make the practice of doing deliverance at a distance. I don't believe it's as effective as doing deliverance in person. And I don't believe Jesus made a practice out of it because we're only going to find it right here where Jesus actually deliver the little girl at a distance is God able to of course God's able to God can do anything we teach that in all of our deliverance courses but understand according to the Bible that Jesus did not make a practice out of doing long distance deliverances Jesus did this deliverance long distance for the mom 
So number two, parents are not only natural guardians, they're spiritual guardians. Number three is deliverance is, now this is where you can silence every preacher and pastor that says, oh, deliverance is not for Christians. Okay, Jesus said that deliverance is the children's bread. So number three, deliverance is the children's bread. That translates to this, okay, if you don't know. Deliverance is for the people of God. This is what Jesus was telling her. He was saying, lady, deliverance is for my church, not for the world. Remember, she's a Greek. She's not God's chosen people. And she represents someone from the world. And Jesus said, lady, deliverance, the children's bread, which is deliverance, is for my church, not for the world. She was not an Israelite. Therefore, she was not considered. God's people, Jesus at first ignored her request, but because she was persistent, her faith qualified her as a true daughter of Abraham. Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says Abraham himself was accounted righteous because of his faith. So her her shameless persistence and her faith qualified her as a daughter of Abraham, although she was not a daughter of Abraham. Her faith was displayed. Her daughter's deliverance followed. When you display your faith, you could expect deliverance to follow. Number four, faith is important to deliverance. Faith is important to deliverance. Jesus said, oh woman, how great is your faith? Faith is required not just for salvation, not just for healing, not just for baptism of the spirit, but faith is required in deliverance. The worst thing you can do going into deliverance is to start a deliverance. Now listen, if I, if I ever get a chance to pray deliverance over you, the worst thing you can do at the start of your deliverance is say, I don't really think I'm going to get free today. You might as well just go ahead and pack up your bag. You might as well just go ahead and go home because the worst thing you can do is say, I don't think I'm going to get free today. The devil is always lying in deliverance saying you're not going to get free. This is him attacking your faith because he knows how powerful of a weapon faith is. Now she was not an unbeliever. Okay. Although she was not God's chosen people, she was not an unbeliever because the Bible says that she called Jesus Lord and she asked for a blessing from her master's table. So her entire demeanor shows she believed in Jesus. So some of you say, well, Isaiah, I thought you taught we shouldn't do deliverance on unbelievers. Didn't you just say she's an unbeliever? No. Although she was not God's chosen people, she was absolutely a believer in Jesus because like I said, the Bible says she called him Lord and she asked for a blessing from the master's table. Her entire demeanor shows us she's a believer. Someone can receive deliverance on the faith of another person, but they must retain their deliverance on their own faith. Write that down. Someone can receive deliverance on the faith of another person, but they must retain their deliverance by their own faith. So you need to understand that faith is an activator. Okay, I'm gonna give you one last thing because there's still over 650 of you watching and we we're just gonna give you one last thing, one last, and I'm gonna do another part because I have way too much stuff tonight, but I wanna show you a major pitfall when you begin to do deliverance. And this is what I call the pitfall of exclusiveness in Mark 9 38 and in Luke 9 49 I'll paraphrase it for you. you don't have to turn there John comes to Jesus and said teacher we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we told him not to because he's not one of us and Jesus the Bible says responded with do not stop him for one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment not say anything bad about me for whoever is not against us is for us now many people that start doing deliverance especially past 
pastors have a tendency to become like the disciple John when they start deliverancing, thinking they have the corner of the market or that no one else is allowed to do deliverance. But I'm telling you right now, you need to get out of this thinking that you're a part of some special group or you're the only one allowed to do deliverance. Jesus' response to the disciples saying, we stop the man doing deliverance because he's not one of us, was do not stop him. And this is what I wish so many pastors would listen to me right now. Stop telling people in your church they're not allowed to do deliverance. Stop stopping people from doing deliverance. As someone is trying to do deliverance in Jesus' name, why are you stopping them? Why do we have these cult-like churches that are exclusive clubs where only certain people are allowed to do deliverance when Jesus clearly said deliverance is for every believer. Jesus rebuked them and it shows us that we should be encouraging people to be active in spiritual warfare. Jesus called deliverance again in the story a miracle. Jesus says deliverance is a miracle. Why are you stopping them from doing miracles? Anyone that does miracles in my name, he says, will not not speak bad about me. So if they're doing miracles in my name, why are you stopping them? They can't do miracles and speak bad about me in the same time. So you need to understand Jesus called deliverance, the casting out of demons, a miracle. Deliverance is a miracle ministry. Deliverance is a valid miracle. Many people say they've been seeing miracles, but they only refer to healing. But I want you to know this. I feel the Holy Ghost right now that every time a demon is cast out, it is a genuine, authentic miracle of God. Deliverance is a miracle from God. We need to stop telling people they can't do something that Jesus already said they can. We do not have the right, according to this verse, if you don't know what I'm preaching right now, Mark 9.38, Luke 9.49, according to this verse, we don't have the legal right as leaders and disciples to tell other people they are not allowed to drive out demons. I would rather hear one testimony of someone saying, I applied the teachings and now I'm doing deliverances than me go do a hundred deliverances on people. It is time for you to be trained and equipped. Pastor, stop telling people this is not a special club. This is for every single believer. This is your calling. This is your assignment. God has anointed you to do this. God has called you to do this. And you need to understand this is for every single believer. So with that being said, I want to pray a prayer. I want to release you into deliverance. I want to release you into this ministry. I want to tell you that God has anointed you and God has called you and God has mandated you to the deliverance ministry. Now I'll tell you one thing. I got a lot more to talk about when it comes to demons being cast out in the gospels. I didn't anticipate it was going to take me an hour and a half to get through what I got through, but we will be later in the future. Maybe we'll take a a week break and teach on something else, but we will be talking later on about the deliverance ministry of Jesus. But here's what I want to do. I believe specifically tonight, the Lord is going to break schizophrenia. And I believe the Lord is going to break bipolar by the power of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things I want to pray off of you right now is if you're dealing with bipolar, if you're dealing with schizophrenia, I believe God is going to break it by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you need breakthrough, if you need healing, if you need deliverance, I just want you to put your hands out. Father, we ask you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would bring deliverance and break breakthrough right now in Jesus name. Father, we are asking that you would break this demonic thing of exclusiveness in the church and that God, you would empower every single believer to do deliverance. God, Lord, we thank you for your anointing. We thank you that tonight the power of schizophrenia is being broken. 
We thank you that tonight the power of bipolar is being broken. We thank you that every destructive spirit, every spirit of cutting, every spirit of death, every spirit of confusion, we ask you right now to be broken in Jesus' name. God, we ask for your deliverance anointing. We ask for your deliverance power. We ask for your deliverance fire right now in Jesus' name. God, we are asking for breakthrough. We're asking that you would release legions of angels over every listener. I just speak over your home that there would be breakthrough in your home, that there would be peace in your home. Listen, tonight, if you're believing for a kid that needs deliverance, I want you to begin to ask the Father right now. I want you to begin to ask Jesus right now. Father, we ask that you would release deliverance over every child. Father, we ask, Lord, those parents that are coming by faith like that Syrophoenician woman, we pray, God, that you would do the miracle of deliverance, that this is the children's bread, that this is the calling of the church. So, Lord, we are asking that you would bring breakthrough. We are asking that you would bring deliverance. We are asking that you would bring fire. We're asking that you would bring your anointing over them right now. We speak into your kid's life and we speak breakthrough now over demonic spirits and over demonic powers. We pray for deliverance now. I speak healing now in Jesus name. I speak deliverance now in Jesus name. Father, we thank you that those prodigals that are out demonize, that you're bringing deliverance even to our prodigals, that this is the children's bread, that we have faith, that we have hope, that you're going to heal, that you're going to restore, and that you're going to deliver. Father, I just pray over every listener right now that you'd bring healing now. We speak the healing power of the Holy Spirit over you. We bind up every sickness. We bind up every spirit of infirmity and every spirit of disease, and we say be healed and be restored in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask for your power to be released now. Healing power flow now. Healing power in your home. Healing power in your body. Healing power in your marriage. Healing power at your job. We believe right now that God wants to bring healing and restoration by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we just say, have your way right now. Have your way right now. Release deliverance. God, I thank you that right now the Lord says, I'm training up warriors right now in the body of Christ. I'm training up believers that are going to do this, that are going to walk in this ministry. And so right now, God, we just pray for a special anointing over every person watching. We pray for your power. We pray for your fire. We pray for Holy Spirit boldness in Jesus' name that, God, you want to release a spiritual boldness to be able to confront demonic powers. So, God, we just speak now blessings. We speak breakthrough. We speak deliverance in Jesus' name, God. You know the needs of every person, and God, we're asking for a releasing in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content, and please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.